0: Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. for that, please. Um, Today we'll be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 1. We'll just be in the first four verses. And so we'll hang out there for a little bit. And so um, in my Bible, the heading over this passage is the supremacy of God's Son, And supremacy is an interesting word and has a lot of baggage along with it. And instead of looking at the word supremacy for what it is, we are just gonna swap supreme for supremacy. And so what comes to your mind when you think about the word supreme? Some of you may be thinking about supreme pizza, right? It's almost lunchtime. What's it mean to be supreme? I like to look at supreme at something, someone, or a group of people that are different, that are better, that are best. Meaning that they have done something that sets them apart from everybody. Maybe you can think of a sports team that was dominant over the rest of the teams. Maybe you can think of a singer that had a voice like no other. Maybe you can think of an artist who created masterpieces. History remembers certain people over time that are unlike anyone else. And so I've put together a list of examples of singers and artists and sports teams that are in my eyes supreme. So these are, these are just a few that I put up there. If I didn't put someone that you like up there, I'm sorry. Uh, you can tell me about it later. And so just some of the singers that have voices like no other, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Adele, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, Johnny Cash, and Nat King Cole, but not all of Nat King Cole, just specifically his Christmas songs. It's- <laughs> His is, yeah, that's my favorite Christmas album for sure. And so see, these are some of the singers that are the best to ever do it and will be remembered by many. And I'm not a huge art guy, but my sister, she's an art educator, so I get to learn all about art. And the easiest thing for me about art is that I can just think about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not the turtles themselves, but the artists they get their names from. And so behind me, you'll see a few pictures that'll go along with some of the rest of the examples. And so, in case you didn't know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael, and who am I I missing? Donatello, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael, there we go. And so, Donatello, first off the bat, he was the most influential sculptor of the 15th century. And Behind me, you'll see his sculptor of St. George. It's pretty supreme. The next one is Leonardo da Vinci, might be the most well-known artist in history, but he's so much more than an artist. He was a true Renaissance man. What's a Renaissance man, you may ask? This is someone who's great at everything. He's good at it all. So he's a great painter, great sculptor, great poet, and everything else. He was most famous for his painting of the Mona Lisa. And anybody, has anybody got to see it? Anybody? Wow, a lot of you actually. And so uh, my sister, I called her when I was getting ready for this. I was like, hey, can you describe the Mona Lisa to me? And she said it was the most underwhelming experience she had and I was like great that's awesome that's exactly what I wanted to hear and so I had a picture of it but I didn't put it up there because uh, she said no and so you think of the Mona Lisa as this great piece of work and it is but those of uh, those of you that have gone you see how small it is you expect the Mona Lisa to be this huge thing and it's pretty small and so she said she was getting all ready to go in there and saw it and she was just like is that it but da Vinci's not only just uh, famous for his Mona Lisa, but he's done a lot of other things. And the next is Michelangelo. He's a well-known sculptor for his statue of David. And if you know uh, anything about the statue of David, you know why it's not on the screen behind me. And so uh, I went with another one, uh, the painting of the Sistine Chapel. Um, I've never got to see it, but I think that would be a cool place to see. And last but not least, Raphael. He was, who is known for mastering all styles of painting? I didn't know that there was different styles of painting. And he's mastered all of them. In the scene behind me, you see the school of Athens, which is depicting all the Greek philosophers. Those are just some of the famous artists of our time. And now we're getting into the sports teams. I'll have a few teams and then a few individual athletes that are supreme. First up is the 1992 Dream Team, the best basketball team ever put together. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, all the guys that belong there, except there was one guy who didn't belong there, that college kid, Christian Leitner, who I probably shouldn't even say his name, but he was on the team. Then you have the 72 Dolphins, who went undefeated the entire season and then get to the Super Bowl and lose. You might think that's not supreme, but going undefeated in the NFL is pretty supreme. Next is the 1927 New York Yankees. The, 20, the 1920s of the New York Yankees, they're all the best baseball teams ever made. And the 27 Yankees was ultimately the best team ever created with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Earl Combs. And some of these hitters, the first six hitters on the Yankees were called the murderous row. You might ask, why were they called that? The first six hitters would hardly ever get out. And so they'd get hit, after hit, after hit, after hit. And they called them the murderous row because any pitcher that they faced, they murdered. Next is the 1996 Bulls. And so this was, has been the great, one of the greatest dynasties ever in the NBA. And then one of my favorites, who's next, the 1980 USA hockey team. This is the Miracle on Ice. I, I wasn't alive. I didn't get to see it, but I've seen the movie. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And so if you don't know, the 1980 USA hockey team uh, is compiled of a bunch of college kids who go and beat the best players in the, in the world. In the Miracle on Ice team, they beat the Soviet Union and the Soviets were the, were the best at hockey. And these underdogs went and beat them. Next is the 2016 Golden State Warriors, who went 73 and nine in the entirety of the season. They lost nine games in the entirety of an, an NBA season. And the three individual athletes that I have next, the first is Tiger Woods not the most you know, moral guy. You can have your opinions about him, but he is, some may think that Jack is still better than Tiger due to major wins, but Tiger Woods has 82 wins, 14 majors, and in the 1999 and 2000 season, he won 58% of the tournaments he showed up to. That's supreme. Next we have Serena Williams. She speaks for herself, the best tennis player to ever live the most dominant female tennis player to ever live. And then the last but not least, Simone Biles, the best gymnast to ever live, the most supreme gymnast to ever live. Do you know how good she is? At the Olympics with the best gymnastics members in 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 the world. Simone Biles is so good that they had to change the scoring to make it fair for everybody else. You think you're good at something when they have to change everything to give other gymnasts who are top level a chance to win that's supreme. All of these singers, artists, and athletes at one point in time will be forgotten. We remember them now, history remembers them, But at one point in time, they'll be gone. Their names will not carry the same weight they once did. Their fame will dwindle and their legacy will be but dust. But as we're about to read in Hebrews, we'll see what is truly supreme, what name is really supreme. That the name of Jesus will never be forgotten. The name of Jesus will carry the same weight forever. The glory of Jesus will never fade. And the work of Jesus will never be forgotten forever and ever. So if you have your Bibles, we'll read the first four verses of Hebrews 1. Scripture says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as a name he has and inherited, is more excellent than theirs. And so today, we're just going to have an old-fashioned walkthrough of the Scripture. We're going to see what God has given to us in these verses. Let us not forget the importance of context that Hebrews was written to a, to a specific group of people at a certain time for a certain reason, but through God's grace, we are able to use it, learn it, read it, and apply it to glorify God in our lives. And so right off the bat, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews, doesn't have an author. A lot of people will want to give Paul the credit, which is a good guess. He wrote half of the New Testament, but some of the verbiage and the grammar and the word choices don't match up with Paulinian authorship. And so Paulinian authorship is seminarian for saying Paul didn't write it, or Paul may have written it. And so this letter was written to the Hebrew people. These Hebrew people are newly converted Jewish Christians who are having a tough time with their faith. They're still holding on to some of the old traditions of their faith, holding on to Jewish customs, and their faith is fading. So the author, whoever this person is, wrote to them to encourage them to maintain in Jesus. And so um, I think this is an extremely applicable, applicable there we go uh, book for us. So if the Hebrews are struggling with their faith, having a tough time relying on Jesus, I think we can find ourselves in the same boat as them. So look at verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the the phrase long ago is pointing to the vast amount of time that has taken place in history. It's just an opening. It's kind of like the opening in Star Wars, you know, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Same idea, whole different context, but it's very similar opening. And so the author of Hebrews is opening in such a way that it's inviting the readers to connect their lives to those that have, become, that have come before them in the Old Testament. So just as the intended audience is looking back at the life of the Old Testament believers, we are here today looking back at the life of the New Testament believers. And so many scholars believe that the phrase many times and in many ways is referring to the times that God has revealed certain things over time. And so the writer here is not just talking about general revelation, what God has revealed to everybody. But the author of Hebrews is talking about special revelation, which only occurs to certain people. And so we can look at three examples from the Old Testament of special revelation. And so uh, the three examples are Abraham, Moses, and Um, Isaiah. And so in Abraham, God spoke through promises. In Moses, God spoke through the law and the signs. And in Isaiah, God spoke through prophecy. And so all three of these examples, all of this shows that the focus is not on how God speaks to the prophets, but on how he spoke to the followers of the faith through the prophets. So God has spoken to his people all throughout time, all throughout history through the fathers of the faith. And this time frame of God speaking through the followers of the faith began with Abraham and then ended with Jesus. And so look at verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so, but in these last days, this points to this time in history. From the coming of Jesus Christ, the new covenant between God and his people was created. In the Old Testament, they were under a covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. And since the coming of Christ, we'll we'll see this later with the Lord's Supper, we are under a new covenant with Jesus. So since Jesus came and established the new covenant with his people, that is a covenant we are under today. And so it's no shock that Jesus encountered trouble during his times when he was alive He is alive today It's no shock that Jesus encountered some Trouble during his teaching During his miracles As Jesus began teaching Showing his divinity Performing miracles the Pharisees accused Jesus Of trying to abolish the law The law being the law of Moses They were like Jesus is trying to get rid of the law And if we, if we know Anything about the Jewish people Is that the law is everything They followed the law For the Jews, the law is everything. And still to this day that they are following the law of Moses, waiting for their Messiah to come. And they refuse to believe that Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, has already come into the world. And so the Pharisees not only accuse Jesus of wanting to get rid of the law, but also create a new one. In Matthew chapter 5, we see where Jesus talks about coming to fulfill the law. And in verse 17, it says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law... Of the prophets, I come, I not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's a big difference between uh, abolishing the law and then fulfilling it. This abolishing and fulfilling of the law connects directly to the transfiguration that we read in Matthew 17. And so the story of the transfiguration is told in the Gospels, and we read that Jesus is on a mountaintop with Peter, James, and John. And then Jesus was transfigured in front of his disciples. And the Bible says that his face shine like the sun and his clothes were like white, like light. Then all of a sudden, two people appear next to him, Moses and Elisha. Why is this important? Why are these two men there? And then all of a sudden, a voice, we know that is God, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. So why does this transfiguration story connect to Hebrews? Why does this connect to the law? Why is this important for us today? Look at the two people who were there with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. What do they represent? Moses brought us the law and is in representation of it. Elijah was a great prophet and represents the prophets. The transfiguration, this story here, is the ultimate showing that Christ did in fact come to fulfill the law not abolish it. Many scholars believe that the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the last days. When we think of the last days, we shouldn't think of the, the doom that's coming. All we see it as is humanity's time coming to a close and then the glory of God in Jesus Christ coming and returning. Just as believers in the Old Testament long for the day of the coming of Jesus. So must we long for the day of the return of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We do not know the time or the place, but we do know that Jesus promised to come back and he is true to his word. And so during these last days, as we see in verse 2, that God will speak to his creation through his son, Jesus. One scholar once said that revelation is the speech of God to man. And a man named A.B. Davidson once said that revelation, when spoken, is The word of God God's revelation in his son Jesus Christ is the direct revelation to you and I I think it's pretty cool that God spoke to his people through prophets in the old testament that's great but you know what's a little bit greater than that than God sending his son Jesus Christ to live on this earth to speak to you and I that's pretty cool Jesus Christ was not a man that became God. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God in flesh, became a man. Jesus is God in flesh in his mother's womb. Jesus is God in flesh as a baby. Jesus is God in flesh as he took the cross. Jesus is God in flesh when he was in the grave. And Jesus is God in flesh when he rose again. Jesus is completely, fully God, Fully man, meaning that he is able to walk in his divinity and his humanity at the exact same time. All who Jesus is, all that he has done, directly reveals who God is. At the end of verse 2, it says, Who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Some readers will get lost in the creation story. We'll be in Genesis and see God work, and we just think God is there by Himself. But if you flip over to John chapter one, we see that God is not alone. That Jesus was there all throughout creation. We see in Genesis one that the Spirit of God is hovering across the land. That is the direct identification of the Trinity being at work in creation. The, tri- the Triune God is on full display. Jesus has always been there with the Father and just doesn't show up in the New Testament. The Triune God had, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit were there at creation, were there in the Old Testament, were there in the New Testament, and they're here at this time and in this moment. So what does it mean to be an heir? You ever thought about that? An heir is a, is a person inheriting or continuing the legacy of a predecessor. So in this case, in the case of Jesus Christ, since the beginning of time Christ has been the rightful heir to the throne in heaven. And so we think about royalty and royal families, and sometimes they may have to experience something to gain the throne. They might have to go through things to gain their status. Some are just born into it. Jesus was born into it. Jesus was born and wise men came looking for a baby, saying, where's the king of the Jews? Jesus Christ was born as the king, and he inherited his purpose. He gained his inheritance by taking the cross. He had to go through something to get his inheritance. As he bore the weight of sins of all humanity on the Roman cross, when he was crowned with the thorns, he was gaining his inheritance. And his inheritance is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 3, if you just read it and you don't feel something, that verse, I don't know if it gets anybody else pumped up, but that, that verse gets me pumped up. This verse reveals the nature of Christ and the effect of His ministry. The verse also shows the connection between the Son and the Father because they have the exact same eternal existence and divine nature. Verse 3 points directly to the glory of the Son and His divine origin. Just look at the verse. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He, Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. He, Jesus is the purification for all of our sins. He, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Church, if you want to see God's glory, if you want to see God's nature, if you want to see his word, if you wonder how your sins are purified, if you want to see who sits upon heaven's throne, look no further than Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. In verse four, having become as much superior to the angels in the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now we're seeing that Christ is even superior to all the angels. His supreme status is proven by the fact that he is the Son of God. We see his humanity, that he is the Son of Man. Which means that the status as the Son of God and the Son of Man gives him complete and ultimate authority and capability of being the perfect sacrifice for you and I. Not only is this given him the perfect ability and capability of being the perfect sacrifice, but it qualifies him to be the only one that can offer salvation. We have seen from our culture, from the examples of what being supreme can look like. And we know that one day, at one point, Sometime in history, all those people will be forgotten. They won't be remembered. We have seen what God has provided in his word of what being truly supreme means. And the word supreme begins and ends with Jesus. We have seen that in the last days, God has spoken to us through Jesus, who is the rightful heir of all things. We have seen that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature and glory of God. We have seen that Jesus upholds the universe and is the word of God. We have seen that due to Jesus' divinity and humanity, he is the only one that can make you pure of your sins, of my sins. We have seen that Jesus has taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. We have seen that Jesus is greater than all the angels. And we have seen that God has given him Jesus all authority and all capability of being the perfect sacrifice and the only one that can offer salvation so we know what being supreme is we have seen who is supreme we know that only one can offer salvation we know that only one that can make us pure of our sins and I'm here today to provide an opportunity to respond to this I'm here as an opportunity for you to accept nothing that I've done, nothing that I've said, but I'm here to give you an opportunity to respond of who God is, what God has done for you. This salvation is free. This salvation was paid. This salvation was paid for by the blood of Jesus. This salvation was paid on the cross, that had your name on it. It had my name on it. This salvation was paid for by the undeserving. Who really deserved to be on the cross? Jesus? The perfect, sinless son of God? Or a man like me, full of sin and unworthy? That's my cross. Had my name on it. Has your name on it. But Jesus, out of... Complete love and compassion for you. He said, I'll take that. I'll take your sins. Each and every one of us in this room has had a debt. And praise God, it's paid. Each and every one of us had our sins atoned for on the cross so that we did not have to be up there. The picture of the gospel is this it's the life the death the burial the resurrection of Jesus Christ he died for you and I so that we could be reconnected with the father he took your place he took my place to offer you the free gifts of eternal life and that's good news church that's why it's called good news it's called good news simply because the death that we deserve to die we don't have to Jesus did that for you. All because of God's perfect son simply loves you. If you're here today and you've never had that connection with Jesus, if you've never accepted that free, that free gift of grace, if you don't know who the supreme Jesus is, today's a time to meet him. Today's the time to respond. And if you know who Jesus is, great. Are we living like we know who Jesus is? Are we putting him on the status that he should be on? Are we living like we serve the supreme almighty God? If there's a decision you want to make, I'll be down here in front. Michael, be over on the right side. We'd love to talk to you. Don't let today go by if the Holy Spirit's moving, nudging you in a direction. Don't let today go by. Let's pray.